Hello and welcome to show 10. I feel like it's a little mini anniversary. My name's Alex Stewart, your host for the Low Tox Life podcast and I am loving bringing you this show and thank you so much for all the wonderful feedback. You know how to show the love best by subscribing and also by hitting one of the little stars or maybe even leaving a one-line review. iTunes don't make it easy to do that, so I am always so appreciative of you guys who do. Now, today is a really special show. As you know, I love to bring forward people who are doing incredible things for people and planet uh, in the business sense, as well as what we can do for feeling our best selves. Now, today is one such business, and I'm having a great chat to Tara Button. And she is an ex-ad exec who really knows how to push a consumer's buttons to make us buy what you know, companies want us to buy, who has literally flipped and decided to tell people not to buy lots of stuff and to actually open a shop online which suggests things that you might buy that you would only actually have to buy once in your life. And she features one of my favourite brands, Le Creuset, uh, which I've talked about before, uh, as you know, because I have two pieces that are from my beautiful grandmother's days of 1972 limited edition uh, Le Creuset cookware, beautiful roasting pan and also a really nice little brown pot. So this stuff does last. I can absolutely attest to it and uh, we will be chatting about all sorts of different things including how she came to have the idea and how she got it off the ground as well as doing some great tangenting on sustainability and consumer buying topics. So it's a great chat and I really, really hope you love it as much as I loved having it. And before we kick into that interview, I would love to just remind you that this month's program partner is the beautiful, beautiful brand of Walida. Uh, it is one of my favorite global low-tox skincare and homeopathic brands. These guys really have not changed the way they do things an awful lot since they started nearly 100 years ago. And uh, last week's show, I shared just a few of my absolute favorite products. And now that it's come into spring here in Sydney, uh, you guys are experiencing the fall over in the other part of the world, of course. Happy pumpkin soups. <laughs> but for us here in Sydney, it might be allergy season, a few crazy hay fever things happening. And they've got these wonderful homeopathic products to address seasonal disruption, as well as a fantastic, uh, smooth, sort of soothing, if you like, almond range, which if you get hives around this time of year, it doesn't sound particularly attractive, does it? But it's very, very useful. And the almond hand cream is actually one of my favorite products. So please do not forget to make the most of this 20% off with free shipping over $30. Uh, and you have all the details in today's show notes. I'm not going to carry on any longer. Here is today's show. Enjoy it. And I'll speak to you after. Tara Button, thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Hello. What a pleasure to be here. Oh, we're super thrilled. And I've had a number of people in various little groups that I have online on Facebook, alumni from my e-courses, especially the Go Low Tox e-course going, oh my gosh, how exciting, because we just love the concept of your business. Now, I guess before we launch into all the questions that I'm dying to ask you, can we just find out a little bit more about your story, your past career, maybe a little picture, a window into how you grew up and whether you were always a bit of a slow living advocate or if it was a bit of a, 
a born again kind of aha moment? I'd love to know. Sure, absolutely. Well, I would describe myself as always being environmentally minded, if that makes sense. Yes. In fact, I was probably most evangelistic about the environment as a small child. Um, I remember that me and my best friend tried to make a projector that would project <laughs> save the earth onto the moon. Oh my <laughs> gosh, was, I love that. Yeah. We would have been such good friends. <laughs> yeah, that was our, our big plan was was to do that. But unfortunately, my dad's torch didn't quite reach. Oh, um, such a shame. So shame. Because we felt that if, if save the earth was on the moon, that everyone would magically start recycling and saving the polar bears. And we could have taken the credit for all of that, of course. Of so. course. <laughs> but I, I suppose since then, my, my main passion has been writing. So my entire career has kind of been built up around the idea of, of communication, I suppose. And I wanted to be a children's book author for a really long time. I'm still, I'm still writing children's books, actually. Oh, fab. But, yeah, which which is really fun, but I ended up kind of falling into the evil world of advertising, and I've spent the last <laughs> ten years working trying to get people to buy more stuff. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, <laughs> um, and I think actually that part of Buy Me Once was almost my penance. I felt like I had to make up for the fact that I was trying to persuade people to buy things they didn't necessarily want or necessarily need. So I was really pleased to have this output that I felt was purely positive to kind of make up for that side of myself, I suppose. Yeah, but, you know, something I'm a big believer in, though, because I, like you, have a past and my past was Prestige Cosmetics. And, you know, I used to be so proud of selling these $400 creams or um, once I moved on to management, you know, teaching my teams, my sales teams out on the floors to do these incredible sales and um, and this stuff is just full of hormone disruptive, chemical laden crap. And, you know, but what that time in my life taught me was that, you know, was how to sell, was how to communicate with people, was how to find out how you could help people and then match that up with the products that you had for them, you know, and that's totally transferable when you start doing really good stuff for the world. So I, I'm a big believer in all of those little things, whether they might be deemed good or bad, helping to shape us and skill us up for what we do end up going on to do. So I wouldn't feel too bad. This is, consider it your pardon, Tara. It's happened live right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel free suddenly. <laughs> Can you tell me, uh, just, just for a laugh, what was probably um, like, don't, don't name a brand, but like your most embarrassing advertising hand that you had in something? Um, that was potentially <laughs> when I was given a brief mm -hmm. for a food company that was selling not necessarily the healthiest food, or to children and they said they wanted to up the consumption of this particular product from one kilogram a year to two kilograms a year in kids oh wow and was a very unhealthy product and it made me feel awful yeah. just so and while I appreciated the opportunity to be creative 
I I fundamentally disagreed with what I was doing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, just as I've talked about in the blog many times, this is not people who care for our health or the planet. This is people around board tables saying we need to shift consuming from one kilo per year per child to two kilos per year per child with graphs and demographics and all sorts of completely inhumane things that that just don't do us any good. And I think, you know, once we connect with that and what's going on, it's so easy to see, isn't it, how we do end up buying almost against our consciousness and our will. We don't even realise yeah, I, I think of advertising as a type of hypnotism. Mm, it's, it's, that's exactly what it is, yeah. Exactly. It's some of the brightest people in, in the world, and I do think that some of the most talented people in the world are in advertising because it's one of the it's one of the industries where you get paid a steady amount for being creative, and so that, that attracts kind of pragmatic creative people and they and they they are incredibly bright and they're putting all of their brain power behind these techniques that bypass your conscious thought and speak directly Mm. into your subconscious to make you go oh yeah I should get that (laughs) Mm. and isn't it interesting now that you've completely (laughs) you've totally I mean of all the career pivots yours is a pretty massive one isn't it interesting that you know that to then bring that into your work now. Yeah, it's great because I'm the mm. insider. I feel like I mm. crossed over from Soviet Russia or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, I just hope they don't send snipers after me. Um, because <laughs> I, I do feel now that I can share some of those secrets and what my plan is. I've just been given a book deal, which is really exciting. And oh, congratulations. Very much. There was a bidding war and everything. It was one of the most exciting weeks of my life. <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to be published with um, HarperCollins, but part of that book is going to be about how to arm yourself against advertising and because it's mm. a very it's very much this form of hypnotism it's about arming your subconscious against the subconscious bombardment because there's no point in just knowing that advertising is bollocks a lot of the time i'll I can rephrase that if that's too rude no no all good all good yeah it's it's not just about us consciously knowing that advertising it isn't necessarily truthful or on our side it's about our subconscious knowing that and I think some kind of exercises to help arm our subconscious I think would be really useful in this day and age oh absolutely and it's something we talk about a lot in my community uh, especially around food and cosmetic advertising not so much lifestyle advertising, but, you know, even something like the, you'll laugh when you hear this and maybe you guys have the same thing in the UK, but I nearly fell off my chair and died when I heard this ad last year or the year before uh, for a fresh air system. And it was one of these things that you attach to the wall that would intermittently pump out hormone disruptive chemical laden fragrances that were synthetic into your air to make your air supposedly fresh. And so it was called a fresh air system. And I just thought, how did we get here? How on earth have we come so far from opening a window as our 
instant and very free fresh air system into thinking this little white box pumping out strange chemicals was going to be some sort of version of fresh air. It was just that it was a moment where I thought, no, 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 this stops now, you know, and it's, I think you would agree, such a joy to help people peel back those layers of how on earth we got here and how ridiculous it is and move on from it. Absolutely. I mean, just the fact that they're using that kind of wording is is mm. really telling. And I think the way that we use words in advertising, you know, as a copywriter, I can tell your listeners, you know, copywriters spend hours and hours and hours tweaking and retweaking and retweaking the right words to directly um, try and manipulate what people feel about something. So, so um, often you might hear phrases like as part of a healthy meal or something like that. Mm. That doesn't mean that, that the actual product is healthy. <laughs> yeah. It just means that it should, it should be eaten as part of, of a healthy meal. But many people, they just hear healthy and yeah. meal and they kind of, you know, cut out the fact that actually the, the actual product in question isn't healthy for them at all. So that's just one of the many tricks that advertisers use, and there are many. Ooh, what else? Can you share another couple? Um, I think that there's a lot of, of advertising which is about making people feel slightly ashamed of what they have at the moment, mm. and so it's it's very much about making people feel that what they have at the moment is outdated. And that refreshing it and turning what they have around or, or renewing it in some way, which basically means buying another product, is going to make mm-hmm. them feel this kind of rush of vitality. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that happens a lot in fashion, doesn't it? With the, you know, the new season's look and that's done, baby blue's in now, you've got to get yourself, you know, and here's the lookbook with the, you know, it's just so true, isn't it? It's everywhere. Everyone's new launch is is this propelling thing to keep us thinking we need to keep updating. It's so true. Ah, I could talk about this forever. I'm totally making this tangent here. We will get to your beautiful business, but I think it's so important for us to... Interesting. What they do a lot is they look at what the target market and you know make no bones about it we're mm. targeting you <laughs> you know mm. <laughs> a bullseye on your head we know exactly how old you are what you care about how many kids you have where you shop what we know what you think what your political views might be and we've craft you know this communication very specifically to uh, that person and we use everything that we know about that person beliefs and, and what they care about and what their relationship might be with their kids you know do they like playing with their kids or would they would they rather this product would be a distraction for their children you know all of that data goes into this incredibly crafted 30 second tv spot where mm. literally every second has been crafted to make an impact and manipulate that person manipulate that's the key word isn't it to liking that brand yeah yeah given you had the idea to start doing something perhaps as penance as you said (laughs) perhaps more meaningful and you had 
sort of tuned into this idea of helping people buy better and buy less as a result. What were the first sort of steps into moving into having your own business like? Like was it a success overnight? Was it fraught with, you know, difficulties? How did you get it off the ground? Sure. Well, I actually had the idea quite a while ago. I uh, I went back and looked through the records and I found out that I actually registered the URL to buy me once back in March 2013. And mm-hmm. uh, I can't believe it's so long ago, actually. Well, it's only three years ago. Give yourself a break. <laughs> it took me so long to get to a point where there was a website that was actually a website that someone would be able to visit. And the reason why mm. it took so long is because I kept on trying not to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So why did you keep trying not to do it? Because... I didn't know how to do it. And I knew that finding out how to build a website, which I had no experience in doing, to get into some kind of retail situation, which was so far away from my previous experience, I just knew that it was going to take up huge amounts of of my time. And I had a full-time job and I was trying to write kids' books. And so I kept on basically saying, look, Tari, one thing at a time, try and get this book written you know, just drop mm. this idea, um, you know, come back to it some some other time. But every time I did that, I like would end up with this kind of weird, almost itchy feeling whenever I thought of the environment, whenever I thought about, whenever I saw anything on television that, that spoke about the, the mountains of waste we're producing, I would almost get this like sucker punch to the stomach. Like you had an idea that could help and you're not doing it. You are a selfish, uh. awful person. <laughs> Why aren't you doing your idea? And so I literally, the idea bullied me into it. <laughs> I love it. But that's the best kind of idea. That's when you know you absolutely have the calling to explore where that idea is going to take you and what it could do for other people. I'm a big believer in that. Absolutely. It properly stalked mm. me. If, if it was a person, I would have got a <laughs> restraining order. because like. I think Elizabeth Gilbert would love to hear that. She talks about that a lot in Big Magic, doesn't she? Yes, Being she stalked does. by ideas and feeling like it just it's inside you and it has to come out. Yeah, def- definitely. It would, it would not leave me alone. It's like the most persistent wannabe lover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, so brilliant. And so you just had crazy amounts of success right in the early days when you finally did get it off the ground, didn't you? And I think it was something like 700,000 visits in six weeks. Is that, am I? Yes, it was absolutely insane. And, and I kind of like to say that the site kind of launched without me. I wouldn't have mm. said that I was ready for um, the amount of interest that suddenly came my way. The reason why that happened was I launched a petition to try and change the law um, and a journalist saw this petition um, and um, got chatting to me about what, what I was doing. And originally she wanted to write about the petition, but I told her about the website, which no one had seen yet. And she was like, oh, well, the Telegraph is really interested in, in uh, featuring you. And I was like, well, you don't turn this down. You know, no, this no that would be a bit silly. My friends kind of scrambled to get enough products on the site so that when people arrived, they weren't immediately disappointed. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and then the Telegraph article came out in um, January this year and my world just went nuts. 
Absolutely. Amazing. Just eight short months ago. That is just incredible. Yeah, it's, it has been incredibly exciting. I was still kind of at work at the time and I was getting suddenly hundreds of emails, thousands of emails actually from all over the world saying, hey, why aren't you in the US? Why aren't you in Australia? Why aren't you in Canada? Or people saying, what about this product? What about that product? Hey, you should have a TV show. Oh, will you be on my podcast to write a book? And I was still trying to write copy about Tic Tacs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love it. (laughs) Copy about Tic Tacs. Well, the Tic Tacs can just go and bugger off. There's something a bit more important to do now, isn't there? <laughs> exactly. So I literally um, texted my boss over the weekend. I had a I had quite a serious chat to my family, and they said, "Well, look, you know, we won't let you starve if you want to pursue this dream." And so I texted my boss and asked to speak to him the you know first thing on Monday morning. And I went into his office. I was pretty nervous, and I was like look, this crazy thing has happened to me and I just feel like this is a wave that either I jump on and ride and see where it takes me or I just kind of watch it pass by and always wonder what happened. And, I mean, luckily, he's uh, my boss was an incredibly cool person, like one of, one of the goodies of this world, and he was like, I completely agree, you have to go for it. And he didn't even uh, make me stay for the afternoon. (laughs) Oh, how wonderful. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I'm I'm forever grateful. And I'm still friends with, you know, everyone at work, even though I'm potentially undermining (laughs) the advertising world. (laughs) Potentially putting their clients out of business, but that's no biggie. So why do you think it struck such a massive chord? Like as soon as that article came out, everything just went nuts. Do you think there's a bit of a, I mean, it, it ties into a trend, the less stuff trend, if you like, um, the KonMari method and a few of those sorts of things going around? Absolutely. I think that we've reached this kind of crazy crisis point as IKEA mm-hmm. put it. You know, I think even they said, like, we've reached peak stuff. We're so stuffed and and the Mm. things in our life um, have so little value to to, to them now that we just have clutter everywhere and we're not as in love with things anymore. I totally agree with that. And I think what's really interesting is that we've started to see that – having a huge amount of stuff in our lives is is detrimental it's not all all about acquiring 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 it's now about curation and that's what by me once is all about it's about learning to curate your life and and really pick those special things that you want to commit to and that you want to carry through your life and become a steward of and, and hopefully something that you can then pass on to the, the next generation and not just this endless cycle of crap that stresses you out and fills up our oceans and landfills and, and causes a huge amount of damage all around the world. Absolutely. And like, did you used to buy loads of stuff? I did. I, uh, so you were an, a stuff addict as well. I, I, I absolutely was. I think I was, one, I was certainly one of these children and my mother um, told me the other day, it didn't matter how much pocket money she gave me, I had always spent it all and it didn't matter how little 
they gave my sister. She always had loads because she was the saver. But I loved spending my money. I, I loved, as soon as I had some, I was looking for something to, to spend it on. Mm. And I think that that's something that I've had to overcome and something that I have managed to overcome in the last kind of couple of years. And the way I've overcome come it is through uh, learning what I really value and what I don't value. Because I still have those impulses I'm, you know, I have so much um, compassion for, for people who are shopaholics and that do have these impulsive, oh, that looks lovely. Or, or you know, I, I, I just want to get it now. I don't want to wait and or research or, you know, or I'm here now, so I might as well get it. Because mm-hmm. I very much have those impulses myself. But I think because of Buy Me Once and, and because of the mindfulness that I'm having to, to take on with thinking about all the things that I'm buying, I now have a kind of mantra when I when I go around the shops. I've written a, a list, actually, of things that I don't need. And that's incredibly helpful <laughs> because yeah, now nice. I, I have that um, that knowledge in the back of my head. So when I'm tempted, I'm like, you know, Tara, you've said you don't need any more notebooks. You love notebooks. We all know you love notebooks, but really you have five blank ones waiting for you at home. You don't need any more, but I do have to fight it. And I think that's why I have a kind of compassion and empathy for, for people rather than a kind of, oh, well, if you're not doing this, you're a loser (laughs) kind of. Yeah, no, it's true. And I think it's kind of like shaming someone for eating a breakfast cereal with additives in it where they've never thought about additives or wondered about what was in food. It, that's absolutely not the way to play progress and moving on to better choices because at the end of the day, we can't be blamed for what we what isn't even in our consciousness. Yeah, it's interesting. So you mentioned having a what I don't need list. What else is on there? Oh, gosh, there's loads of things. How big is this list? Um, well, you can find it on the website. I've published it so anyone can oh, have fabulous. a Oh, fabulous. <laughs> we'll pop it in the show notes. Sure, no worries. I think if I remember rightly, I say that I don't need any very specific kitchen gadgets like waffle makers and that kind of thing, ice cream makers, <laughs> bread makers. This is, remember, it's a very personal list and everyone's list is going to be different. Yes, but on the on the topic of ice cream makers, though, I did buy an ice cream maker about six years ago now and I made a fair few batches of ice cream with it and I do whip it out a couple of times in the summer. What I love most about my ice cream maker is when a friend says, I think I'm going to buy an ice cream maker. I say, no, 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 trust me. Borrow mine for two weeks, even a month. Take it and just see whether you use it more than once. And just feel free to bring it back whenever you feel that you've made your decision. And they always bring it back and say, thank you so much. I'm actually not going to buy an ice cream maker. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing. So I, my owning an ice cream maker is actually saving landfill from all these other ice cream makers that my friends would have potentially been buying when they realize, actually, I just don't need the ice cream maker. And I think that's such a great technique for figuring out whether you need something in your life. If you can, borrow it, rent it, do do anything but make it a permanent fixture in your life and then figure out whether 
it's something that really just bring, if, if it brings you to kind of quote Mary Kondo, if it brings you this amazing joy um, on a regular basis and it completely transforms your, you know, culinary experience, then go for it by, by all means. But for a lot of us, we have these kind of impulses. You know, I'm, for example, never going to buy a, another piece of gym equipment after buying a treadmill, which was potentially the biggest disaster in terms of, you know, cost per use <laughs> in, my, in my life. <laughs> hey, you start oh, with funny. I think we can all, I think we can all kind of drift off into the distance now and think of what that thing was in our own lives. I can feel everybody doing it out there. And that was a classic <laughs> example of I was given some inheritance money when my um, dear grandma passed away and I spent all of it immediately on a treadmill. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, old. gosh. And, yeah, I used it a little bit, but now it's in the garage and it's not being used at all. And, yeah, I can't say I have much to show for it. So it's a real shame. And my sister probably still has that money. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how different siblings from the same family, you know, can just evolve so differently with their, um, you know, saving versus spending. It's such a great example, different personality traits. Now, so I really love this idea of having a what I don't need list and I, I quite like setting a bit of a challenge in our podcasts and I think it would be really great for everybody to, as we finish up or, you know, even while you listen to the rest of the chat, to just start writing down all the things you don't need. It's so liberating because quite often you'll then, it'll just give us an extra armour, won't it, when we see the ad or when, you know, on the television or the movie screen or in the print magazine to say, actually, no, that's on my I don't need it list and then you just move on. Absolutely. It's definitely helped me with cosmetics because mm. uh, I had bags and bags and drawers and drawers of kind of once, twice used things that I, I had bought on impulse. And I managed to pare back my makeup bag to, I think, five, six items. And I just know that actually anything more than that doesn't make me look any better. So what's the point? It's so true. <laughs> it is so true. And I used to, I used to have this coffray that was an open up and then five levels would present themselves on the inside of this coffret as you extended open the, the lid. They look so luscious and so inviting, these things. But you just- Yeah, but I, I used five things on rotation, never used anything else, and, and I was so excited the day I finally realised, no, I don't need this, and just just got rid of it all. And, of course, it's... It's a bit sad when at the end of the day this stuff is going to landfill most of the time, but I take great comfort in the fact that that habit won't be repeated in the future. Yeah, absolutely. If we can if we can save anyone from buying a, a huge multi-pack of makeup where you, where you only actually like one of the colours um, mm. in, inside the palette, then, you know, we'll have done our job. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I find some of the minimalist movement can be a bit snobby. Some of the communications, you being a fabulous communications expert, might have something to say about this. But 
almost sometimes a sneer coming through the page of the writing with the, oh, you have loads of stuff, you're clearly not highly evolved enough. You know, how do you manage to keep it really positive and empowering in your business? I think it helps that I know I, I'm not perfect. Yeah. And so I do have this empathy for anyone that's just trying at all in any small way to make some kind of positive change. Um, I think it's especially important for us at Biome Once not to be snobby. It has been pointed out that products that are built to last, they are more expensive. And unfortunately, for the most part, this this does tend to be true. You pay for the quality and the craftsmanship and, you know, good, good materials and the lifetime guarantee for to a certain extent. But what's really sad is that it's people who um, potentially have a lower income that suffer the most from the shoddiness and the kind of planned obsolescence that's in in products because mm. only afford um to buy for example a washing machine that breaks really quickly they actually end up spending more over this yes. period of time as someone who could afford the longer lasting product in the first place Oh, I agree. I mean, I think of myself in my student years or my first few years moved out of home where, you know, I'd go through, oh, I probably went through about 10 of those cheap, revolting Teflon-coated nonstick pans from the supermarket yeah. because I I just didn't see that I could, like I actually would have believed that saving up for a long period of time, borrowing one of mum's pans for a bit, would have been a better answer and then getting something of quality. But because our society doesn't think that way, you do get stuck in this pattern of, well, that's all I can afford and therefore you just keep buying cheap on some sort of vast mass race to the bottom really, isn't it? Yeah, and I think what's really important is just to be able to show people the facts and then leave them to make up their own minds. So if you can show that a pan will last 50 years in you know in contrast with pans that will break really quickly you have some of the best pans in the world in Australia solid technics yeah solid technics is awesome so yeah so amazing and I, I actually met the founder last week he was over in London oh great yeah. awesome and you know if you buy one of those pans in uh, instead of kind of 15 Teflon breakable mm. pans then you know you'll, you'll be laughing because you, you'll be able to hand that you know that that one pan down to your great-grandchildren let alone your <laughs> let alone just your own. oh absolutely my beautiful grandmother passed away recently a few years ago and she has the most fantastic Le Creuset collection that we still have most of in her kitchen in Mauritius, which is now my auntie's kitchen. And I inherited the 1972 limited edition roasting pan and a little a little brown pan from the same year 1972 yeah. and it is still going strong it is still gorgeous and i have a beautiful confidence that when i buy a le creuset crock pot as my mother did for me i think it was about 6 years ago now that that thing is going to be passed on to my son one day or his children 
And it's just this such a beautiful thing and it is such a huge saving if we just start to think instead of what can I afford today, big picture, what's the best option for me for the long term? I think that's the mental shift that needs to happen here. Absolutely. And I think if you can, uh, my job is just to communicate that really clearly and to have a kind of empathy with with people and 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 a kind of non judgmental helpfulness. Yes, and that's kind of what um, our brand is, is all about. We just want to be helpful, positive, and and non judgmental because at the end of the day, people are busy. We're all trying to do our best in in life, and we don't blame anyone for not necessarily having this on our radar before. But I see it as my job to just communicate as clearly and, um, you know, easily as possible so that anyone can um, understand the concept and hopefully get involved in in whatever way they can. Beautiful. A woman after my own heart. I love it. Now, obviously, you had quite a bit of exposure and the year's going really well. How do you see us taking this mainstream, this idea of, starting to think about buying less and buying better? So in terms of the mainstream, I would say that our best bet is to talk to people that we don't usually talk to. I think that a lot of the time people in, let's say, the environmental world, the green world, the minimalist world, we're all talking to each other. And because we mm-hmm. all believe the same thing, we're all like smiling and nodding at each other going, oh, you're amazing. Oh, it's like, you're amazing too. And so we just all end up being in this kind of bubble of agreement, uh, which makes yeah. us feel really great about ourselves, but doesn't actually help <laughs> the people who aren't necessarily part of that conversation. And so what I think it's it's all about outreach and going to the places where, you know, that we're not necessarily expected to be. So in terms of that, I think that it's about going going into communities more. I'm thinking about doing kind of pop-up shops and that kind of thing and, and just try, trying to get into local community news and and get to speak in a, in a mainstream way as possible. So I've already been on TV in America. Fabulous. Um, I think that the book will really help in terms of it being able to show what the whole, the complete Buy Me Once manifesto is and mm. um, how it all ties together, how the philosophy ties together with the products, how the products tie together with a kind of battle against advertising and how that kind of fits in with our happiness and our self-esteem. And and once that's all in one big package, then it can also be parceled out um, through all sorts of different media and and on YouTube and and, and Twitter and, and, and Facebook. And I think in a way, this is where the advertising comes in. You have to make it relevant and and sexy and exciting for for, for different people. Mm, it's absolutely. It's kind of like if I think about 12 years ago when I first had to go gluten-free and I ventured out into the world looking for gluten-free substitutes for things like pasta or, you know, whatever it was, it was so unsexy. It was so. It was like I had been given some sort of a sentence and I felt like a social leper 
Whereas, you know, brands started to realize that more and more people had to go gluten-free for allergic reasons, uh, health reasons in general, whatever it might be, and really started to make people feel okay about being gluten-free. In, in fact, almost fantastic about it because you could have something that tasted every bit as good but was actually going to be so much better for you. And I think that's kind of what we really need to do and speaks to exactly what you just said, Tara, which is to make this, it's okay, guys. It's actually awesome. It's actually even better, guys. Head over this way, you know, and that's sort of a general coercion, but in a really positive, empowering way helps people think, oh, well, I'm not losing out and it's not more expensive. It actually saves me money. And it's not less convenient. Oh, hold on. Why am I resisting I think, this again? You know? I think that's that's exactly it. And what's great, I suppose, and, and lucky about Buy Me Once is that you can come at it from lots of different angles. If you're into the environment, then that's a very good reason to to be involved. If you're if you're just if you just want to save money, which I think you know, that's what the mainstream often care about. Mm. That's their primary driver when they go shopping. And and if you care about style and, and quality, then that's also another driver. So you can kind of, we've got this kind of three pillars that we can talk about and they'll all reach a slightly different audience. But together yes. they all kind of funnel people back to what's important um, and, and the site. So hopefully that will mean that over time we'll reach a a wider and wider audience. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of reaching a wider audience, what's on the cards for Buy Me Once? You've got your online store in the US and the UK. What else is going to happen for you? You've mentioned the book. Yes, all sorts of things. And it's all happening at once, which makes me a very busy lady, but I don't mind. It's all good. We are actually relaunching the um the website with new branding and even more products and we're going into Canada and then Australia. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> so we're really excited about that. Um so then we'll be in four countries, which I think will be really wonderful for us because we've been having I can't tell you how many emails we've had from Australians saying, why aren't you in Australia? And we are coming and I'm really sorry it's taking so long. <laughs> yeah, I shared it when I came across your business a few months ago, just after the whole explosion had happened for you with that first article and shared it in my alumni group for my Go Low Tox e-course. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, why isn't this here? I mean, hundreds of people were just so excited. So I dare say you'll have quite a few people interested as soon as you launch. We'll have to do a little shout out. Yes, please. That would be mm. Absolutely wonderful. We're also planning on launching um, Buy Me Once as a kind of fair trade symbol for longevity, mm-hmm. as a kind of award that companies can shout about. So, you know, Solid Technics can say, hey, we're a Buy Me Once brand. And that, that mm. will start to mean something to people so that then when they see the Buy Me Once um, stamp of approval on products, then they, they know that that's um, the best in class, the best in show mm. when it comes to longevity. Um, Wonderful. So excited about that as well. Yeah, brilliant. So I think, I mean, that's just been such an inspiring chat. And if I could finish with this question, 
That is, if you could offer some advice to someone who's out there wanting to live a simpler, more low-tox life, but just felt, you know, sometimes some people feel that it was possibly beyond hope for them and they're busy, full of life, full of stuff lives. Can you offer just some soothing words, like that little first baby step of encouragement to get what would be like even just one item that people could start on? Sure, absolutely. And I think that you've hit the nail on the head when you said baby steps. I think it's really important that when you're trying to make any change in your life, that you start off with something simple that will give you a bit of a boost and a bit of encouragement and and something that you almost get instant gratification and reassurance from. Mm. So what I would say is just go through your sock drawer. your sock drawer can't be that big I say this I managed to cover the entire living room with odd socks one month when I was trying to sort out my my sock drawer and I, I was a bit ashamed of that but if you go to your sock drawer and you know get rid of those socks that you you know that always get left um at the bottom when there's um you know when you haven't done the laundry for a while and and then you know repl- replace them with a pair of really great um, merino wool darn tough socks, and you can find them um, on the website. I hope that they sell them in Australia. That's okay. The podcast is global, so there's people all over who'll be excited. It's all good. Yeah, they're they're amazing socks, and they offer an unconditional lifetime guarantee. And if you can sort out your sock drawer, make it really beautiful, make it really neat and and have a couple of socks that you know are going to last and last you, maybe that will give you a little a little buzz and a little rush and, and that may mean that you might go down to your T-shirt drawer. Mm, I love that. And that, it's, and that it's spread from there. And what we can do then is, of course, we can put the I don't need list and we can put socks on the I don't need list because you don't have to buy socks anymore. Exactly. Buy seven pairs of socks, wear them in rotation. Mm. Brilliant. <laughs> and you're done. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tara. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. I think Buy Me Once is absolutely the type of business of the future and um, very much part of the circular economy trend and, you know, buying less, buying better. I mean, what could be better than that for us, for our our brain space as well, isn't it? It just frees you up to do things that are actually so much more important than simply buying more things. And, and it was just such a joy to chat to you. Thank you. No worries. Wonderful talking to you too. Thanks so much, Tara. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Low Tox Life podcast. I would love for you to check out the show notes as well, and you can find those at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. Now, if there's anything that inspired you from today's episode, I would so love to hear and have you share that maybe online. Use the Lotox Life hashtag and I can be found on Twitter or Instagram at A-L-E-X-X underscore Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. Now, if you liked what you heard today and you want to join us again next time, subscribing is a great way to be notified of a new episode. So hit subscribe and I look forward to welcoming you next time. Bye for now. 